episode number 30, Ron Jenkins. And welcome back to the Tuttle Block, a podcast about Canadian designers, their history, and their craft. I'm your host, Michael Cruz, and in this episode, a discussion with director and a good friend, Ron Jenkins, about design and directing. I met with Ron via Skype, so the audio is a bit fuzzy, but we talk about some great stuff and I can't wait to share it with you. However, we should, in passing, mention the loss of two great Canadian theatre artists this past couple of months. On April 16th, quite unexpectedly, we lost sound designer Todd Charlton. Todd was most closely affiliated, in my mind, with Young People's Theatre, where I first met and worked with him almost 20 years ago, as well as the Blythe Festival, Humber College, where he taught for the last several years, and the Stratford Festival, where he designed and composed music for many productions. Todd was always a delight to work with. His confidence and talent always tied the team and the production together, and his spirit will be missed. And on June 10th, we lost Desmond Healy, a designer known for, as he put it, turning dross into gold in the cash-strapped early days of the Stratford Festival. He went on to design in London and New York and received three Tonys for his costume design, as well as the inaugural Irene Sharaf Lifetime Achievement Award from the Theatre Development Fund. Desmond mentored many of the top Canadian designers, some of whom I have interviewed here, and he will be sorely missed, a great Canadian designer. It would have been great to interview both of these men while they were still alive, but wishing can't make it so. However, we can have a structured remembering to ensure that there is something to pass along to the next design giants in Canada. If you worked with Todd or Desmond and would like to participate in a recorded session, please email me at thetitleblock at gmail.com. Now, the title block is a project designed as one strategy to ensure we do not forget our roots as Canadian theatre artists, and we should not miss out on recording this history. And at that end, I want to thank those of you who have decided to support the show and this historical project on Patreon.com and encourage the rest of you to consider helping out with a couple of bucks an episode. It'll really help to make sure we protect and share the history of theatre design in Canada. I've completed several interviews at Shaw and Stratford over the past couple months and had the pleasure to speak with veterans Pat Flood at her office in Guelph and Martha Mann at her home in Toronto last month. And I can't wait to share both of these interviews with you. They'll be up in the next couple months. TheTitleBlock.com is also the place where you will find past episodes, show notes, and pics that will give you some context for the discussions we have here. There's a portfolio page that has some work by leading Canadian designers as well, so check that out. And now, my conversation with director Ron Jenkins. Ron Jenkins is an Edmonton-based director and is joining me via Skype from his home in Edmonton right now. Ron Jenkins, welcome to the Title Block. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? I'm awesome. It's so great to talk to you finally. We've been trying to set this up for many, many months now, and I'm glad that we have had the opportunity here over Christmas to take a little moment and have a chat about designers and directors. So welcome. Uh, Thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs> you're very welcome. Oh, my God. Um uh, first of all, tell me about your own personal history. How did you come to theater and uh, your initial training as a director? And uh, where, where, first of all, where did you uh, where were you born and where did you grow up? 
Uh, well, I was uh, I was born in Kirkland Lake, Ontario. Um, my uh, my dad was in the Mounties, and uh, so we traveled around quite a bit. So um, uh, I anyway, I was born in Kirkland Lake, and then a, you know six or seven moves later, we ended up in Nova Scotia, where uh, my mom is from. And um, it, you know, I, sort of when I was ten years old, we moved to uh, to Halifax, and then went to Yarmouth, and then. And then I ended up moving to, uh, we ended up getting transferred to Sydney, Nova Scotia, um, in Cape Breton. And, um, and that's kind of where I found the theater was, was there. Uh, you know, when I, I went to a place called Cape Breton University and I was taking an undergrad, uh, degree there and I got involved with theater. There were these two incredible, uh, people there, uh, Liz and Harry Boardmore, this husband and wife team that, um, that had kind of started theater in Cape Breton, you know, for the most part, it was, uh, they, uh, did plays and they ran these festivals, like a new play festival and a, and a traditional sort of, uh, festival that would run from January through till, till April. And people would just do plays and they would do, uh, all kinds of, all kinds of plays, you know, and in the fall they would do a Shakespeare and they would do a musical in the fall. And then, and then this, festival would run kind of January through till April. And that's where I started. Um, you know, and I started primarily as an actor and it was because they were doing a production of Hamlet and, uh, I was, uh, I happened to be in Liz's English class and their Fordenbrass, uh, ended up getting mono. So <laughs> she asked me if I, <laughs> she asked me if I wanted to, um, to play Fortinbras, and I'd never done Shakespeare. I'd, I mean, I'd read some Shakespeare, but I'd never done any Shakespeare in my life. And uh, so, um, uh, so anyway, I, I ended up playing Fortinbras, and then kind of, kind of got hooked from there because I had no intention of of going into the theater at that point. I was, I was, uh, in my mind, I guess when I was, you know, 20 years old, I was going to be a lawyer or something. And uh, anyway, I, I played Fortinbras, and then I kind of got hooked. And, um, I got hooked on the theater and, uh, I went and did some summer stock in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. And, uh, from there I, I met a guy named John Dunsworth, uh, uh, who is this great actor from, uh, Nova Scotia. And he, uh, he plays Mr. Leahy on Trailer Park Boys. And, uh, John's been this tremendous mentor to, to a ton of young people. And he um, uh, he sort of said you should do this, and I kind of went okay, <laughs> and it kind of <laughs> happened like that. So then I I moved to um, I moved to Toronto uh, then. So I was just acting then. I I never directed a, a play in my life, um, and uh, I moved to Toronto and um, I started working as an actor. And I I met uh, this incredible director uh, who's no longer with us, um, Ken McDougall. Mm-hmm. who ran a company called Platform 9. And uh, I moved to Toronto in 1985, I think. And um, we got to be good friends, and, and I worked with Ken, and uh, Ken kind of changed the way that I saw theater. I mean, I had this, I had these great people in Nova Scotia that had kind of, uh, you know, mentored me and taught me and, you know, gave me a respect for the theater. And, and when I met Ken... Um, he kind of just changed the way I saw theater and how, how he made theater. And, uh, and, uh, I was really juiced on it. And, um, 
So I was in Toronto for five or six years, maybe longer, seven years, I think, uh, off and on. And uh, then I moved to Winnipeg in 1992. I was back and forth between Toronto and Winnipeg. I moved to Winnipeg. Uh, I was back and forth. And I started to write my own shows and um, and do them at the Fringe in Winnipeg. The Fringe started in 1989 there. And I, I, um, I started to write and then I started to direct my own plays. And that's how I got got started as a director was 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 um, was just directing my own work, and uh, and I really loved it. And um, so in 1993, I moved to Edmonton, and um, I just continued to do that. I just continued to to uh, make my own shows and direct my own plays and. Um, and in uh, 1999, I, I kind of quit acting altogether, and uh, I've been directing ever since. So, um, so that's kind of the just the fact, man. <laughs> but uh, and that's how I ended up here in uh, in Edmonton. Great. Uh, so, and I've been here since '93, and I, I love it, and I love the community here, and I I um, uh, I love the West, and uh, I've had a I've had a great time out here. That's terrific. Um, so. Yeah, it is. It's a really supportive community. Um, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, you know, farther west, Vancouver. And um and I've uh, I've really enjoyed uh the work. So, you know, um uh so so that's kind of how it's been. And I, I, I ran a new play company from sort of 2000 to 2006 called Workshop West Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so I was there for six years and now I've been, uh, I've been freelancing ever since. So, uh, so I, um, I, I travel a lot and, uh, and work at a lot of different theaters. And tell me about the story with the, the in-situ theater on a bus. This was during a fringe, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Where what, it was in Edmonton, the Edmonton Fringe. Well, I've done a couple. You know, I did I did one called Trial by Bus mm-hmm. in uh, Winnipeg. Uh, it was like the second or third Fringe, and um, we toured around Winnipeg on this bus. It was a trial. It was a sort of cascade trial that took place on a bus, and uh, it was the trial of this one man who ends up being in you know he ends up in this nightmare. Uh, and we would stop, we would stop at different places. We'd, uh, you know, the bus driver would get off and go for coffee as this trial would go on. You know, I was playing the defense lawyer and I would go in and have coffee and we'd sit in the gym and then kind of go back on the bus and, <laughs> and then the trial would continue. And, um, and, uh, so it was called trial by bus, uh, written by this great guy, uh, Kyle McCullough. And then um, I did, uh, we did one here in, in Edmonton called Secret Spaces. And it was uh, five different spaces in the city uh, with five different writers. And the audience was on a bus and we transported them around. Uh, so there was a show that, uh, the play took place on the bus. And then there was another, there were, uh, there were other sort of uh, modular plays that took place in five different locations. So mm-hmm. it was called Secret Spaces. And, um, yeah, you know, people really dug it. They loved, you know, driving around their city and seeing these spaces that they didn't even know existed, you know, and, um, and the writers, I think it was a great, uh, great exercise for them to write for specific spaces in the city, you know, like we didn't assign the spaces, they kind of found them. So, uh, 
it was a terrific, it was a terrific experiment, and uh, I was really proud of the show. I mean, I, you know, and, you know, we sold all 39 seats every single night for three weeks. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a great, it was a great job. That's awesome. I just love that kind of theater. I think that that is where theater can really show that it is not anything else, uh, film or or visual art or it, like it is its own, you know, mode and we should pay attention to it and support it. I think that's really exactly. important. Exactly. Awesome. I agree. That's great. Now, I, this, this is a Toronto-based podcast, and I, I don't really get out much, <laughs> at least out of Toronto. Right, right. Um, thank goodness I have, I have access to Sean Stratford, where they have uh, people come in quite often from outside of the outside of Ontario. But what's going on in Edmonton? Like, what are the hot things that, that have happened there over the past uh, year or so, and what uh, what are you excited about out there right now? Um, well, we have a you know we have a big regional theater company here called the Citadel Theater, which is you know the uh, the big the big A house here, and um, and then we have sort of uh, some uh, mid sized to smaller theater companies, and then we have a ton of independents. So it's um, you know part of the, part of the thing that drew me to Edmonton in 1993 was that people here you know there was a there was a strong base at the Citadel. Um, and uh, and these mid-sized companies like Theater Network, Workshop West, uh, Northern Light Theater, the Phoenix Theater at that time, um, uh, were all doing really great work, and they were all kind of doing five show seasons. And um, uh, and then you had all these other people who just made their own work, like the Shadow Theaters and the Teatro de Quinticinas and you know Catalyst Theater, which uh, you know ultimately went through a um, you know, sort of a major transformation, you know, run by Jonathan Christensen and, and at the time, Joey Tremblay. Um, so there were all these, there were all these, uh, mid-sized companies that just had this great sort of health. And, um, so you had a contemporary theater like the Phoenix that would do, uh, sort of first run or second run, uh, uh, plays. And, you know, they did American plays, Canadian plays, you know, British, you know, um, uh, you know, it was kind of a global, a global contemporary theater. You had the Citadel, which would do the larger sort of classics and, you know, a, you know, a basic sort of regional theater season. Um, and then you had all these other independents that were doing new work and they were doing their own plays and they were doing experimental stuff and they were doing, uh, they were doing a ton of work. You know, it's like, it's like Toronto in the, um, uh, to an extent in the eighties and nineties when I was there. You know, it was, a, it was a really exciting time to be in Toronto because all these uh, all these great artists were on their way up, and um, you know, they uh, the work was very very exciting. You know, Ken McDougall and Daniel McIver, Daniel Brooks, and Don McKellar, you know, the Augusta Company and uh, Crow's Theater with Jim Milan, and um, you know, it, it it's an exciting time. So so here. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, remained the same, you know, you still have those companies around and you still have young people that are, are coming out of the U of A and Grant McEwen, which are the, you know, two major training institutions here and they're all making new work. So there's a ton of new work that happens here. Uh, we have a, we have a lot of writers, um, and you have, you know, um, you know, Catalyst Theater here, which, uh, you know, the sort of, uh, experimental musicals. Uh, which are really great, um, and uh, I don't know. You have a really strong uh, community of actors here and designers. Um, uh, we've got a great design program 
uh, at the U of A. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with a ton of designers from there. So, so it's an exciting, it's an exciting place to be, you know, and, and we, uh, you know, we have to plug in our cars here. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's good when it's minus 20, 30, whatever, uh, you know, the long winters, like people go to the theater and they, and they love to come to the theater. So, Mm -hmm. um, no, it's been a good, it's been a good, good place to be. Yeah, that's exciting. I certainly felt part of a family immediately when I came out there to do the Black Rider with you back in, in uh, two thousand four. It was certainly something right. that I wasn't expecting. I mean, the I mean the community is so um, unlike Toronto. I think that anybody who comes from the outside uh, to come here to you know even if they've they've sort of been a success from where they've come from. They come to Toronto and they feel like an outsider, and it's very difficult to sort of wend your way into the inner sanctum, uh, whatever that means in Toronto. And and uh, Edmonton was nothing like that. I felt immediately uh, a part uh, of the scene and uh, and and enjoyed my time out there. You spoke about Theater Network. How was uh, you guys? They had a devastating fire last year that destroyed the building. How has that been? How has that transition? Where, where have they been? And what are they? Uh, what's going on right now? Uh, has they rebuilt? Well, they, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, the fire, you know, burnt the place to the ground. And, um, so they, um, you know, through the goodwill of, of people around the community, they, uh, they put the last couple of their shows, uh, they were given a theater to do their, to do their shows in so that they could at least finish their season. So, uh, the fringe helped out, um, this place called East Glen high school has a great theater and they helped out, and so now, um, Catalyst Theaters just moved out of their space, which is uh, which is in the heart of Old Strathcona, and they they've moved out of their space and, and are now uh, a resident company at the Citadel. Um, uh, and uh, Theater Network has taken over taken over that building. So the Roxy is now uh, that building until they can rebuild and get their feet, you know, uh, get their feet back on the on the ground again. So I know that. Um, there had been word anyway about them doing a capital campaign to try to, you know, it was an old theater and they needed some upgrades and they needed to do some work on it. So mm-hmm. for the last, uh, for the last, I don't know, uh, close to a year, uh, I guess they're just, you know, in strategic planning now to try to figure out what they're going to do. But for the meantime, they're in the old catalyst theater space here in old Strathcona. So kind of a godsend that that happened. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, not not the fire. I don't mean the fire. I mean that you know, like it's that spirit of people helping out and people being kind and being generous to uh, uh, to them. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, so I've seen a couple of shows at their new space, their new old space that was the Catalyst space, and um, and they seem to be doing okay. And and I guess we'll we'll see what happens in the next little while with them. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad that they uh, they weren't down and out when that happened. Um, and yeah. uh, it was really devastating to see the Roxy kind of in ashes, uh, but uh, I'm glad that they're uh, that they're rebuilding and uh, we'll be back. Uh, I mean, hopefully they'll have they a building will. in the next couple of years. That'd be great. And I'm glad they're at the Catalyst. Yeah. That's terrific. What a great thing to happen. Uh, yeah. Terrific. So let's yeah. talk about let's talk about your developing your voice as a director. So you initially started directing your own work, um, and so you have a kind of a really intimate knowledge with what is required and what you see. Um, was that vision? Did that vision? Uh, obviously of, of the three dimensionality of the play come to you quite easily, or did you have to work on that? And how did that develop over time? 
Right. You know, I, I think it was, um, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I think it was Ken, Ken McDougall had a huge influence on me, you know, uh, as an actor and as a director and Ken, um, you know, would talk about how important, how important, uh, it was to have, um, to have a, 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 you know, a, a visual vision of what you wanted to do. And he, um, uh, he worked very hard at, uh, honing that when, as a, as a director and, and that influenced me hugely. Um, the way he, um, uh, the way he talked to his designers, the way he, uh, you know, the way he lit a show, the way he, you know, the sound design, everything from, from, from the minute you went into the theater till the moment you left, uh, can, cared deeply about how his shows looked and sounded. And, um, and, uh, you know, I, that was a heavy influence on me. It was also, you know, seeing work in Toronto in the eighties and, you know, in Winnipeg in the early nineties and, and, and here in Edmonton, you know, it's, um, you know, I saw some great work by some people like, you know, the first time I saw, you know, Robert Lepage's work, I, w- I was blown away by, uh, how stunning it was visually. And, um, uh, you know, Robin Phillips and seeing his work here when he was the artistic director at, uh, at the Citadel theater, it was like, you know, watching, watching these guys, uh, watching their work and watching, um, you know, it, it was an ultimate experience, you know, that everything was, everything was taken care of, you know, everything was beautiful and directed and designed and, and, um, you know, I, I always liken it to, to films like, you know, if, if, uh, you know, films aren't, you know, movies aren't films, movies, whatever, if they're not, you know, if they're not complete and they're not beautifully edited and they're not sound designed and, you know, we wouldn't watch them, we wouldn't go. And, uh, you know, like, um, uh, you know, directors with, with, uh, with a vision, take care of take care of every part of their storytelling and i think that that's uh that's the uh that's the thing that influenced me was you know these people seeing their work uh being around you know ken um uh you know um and and others and others in toronto you know when i was there in the early days and then you know coming coming to winnipeg coming to edmonton you know, and, and seeing the work of these uh, these great directors uh, um, uh, influenced me hugely. You know, and how uh, so. it, it's interesting that you um, it strikes me that a director with a real vision who who knows what they want uh, can really influence uh, a designer's choices. Um, but if they have a nebulous or not a really focused idea of what they want the designer can kind of take over um how can you tell can you tell when you're watching a show who had the reins i guess it depends on how you well you know the director absolutely yeah and and what what's absolutely well i think you know it's it's uh i think it's like any you know theater is such a collaborative art form you know it's such a collaborative art form so that you can you know you you know you know when people have 
you, you, you sense, I, I, you know, I believe that you, you know, that that collaboration is, uh, is evident in, in the storytelling and the production that you see, you know, and I, and, um, uh, for the most part, I guess, you know, um, but, um, you know, you can see that, that, you know, when you see a production that the team is working, uh, together and that nobody's taken over because I've seen productions where, where, you know, uh, the design is completely overwhelmed the production, like completely overwhelmed the production and, and truly had nothing to do with the play, you know, um, uh, truly nothing to do with the play and truly nothing to do with the heart of the matter. And I, I think everything, you know, everything begins, begins and ends with the material that you're doing. I don't, you know, uh, um, I, I think it's, all your answers are there and then whatever happens from there and however you want to tell a story, uh, kind of, you know, well springs from that. And then, you know, it becomes about, it becomes about the interpreters, the, you know, the designers, the, the director, the, the, you know, and then ultimately the actors. So, um, you know, I, I think the material gives you everything and if it doesn't, then, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're in trouble, you know? Um, so, so I've seen, uh, you know, getting back to your question, I guess it's just, uh, you know, you can, you can tell, I think, or for the most part, you can tell. Um, uh, and, I, you know, I, I collaborate, I love to collaborate. I, I, I love to collaborate with the designers um, and, and the actors. And, you know, if the playwright's living the playwright, you know, I, I um, because I, 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 you know, like, you know, it's the old, the old thing that plays are meant to be played and not read. And, and, um, you know, I think it's, um, how does, how do you, tra- how does that translate? How does that, how does that translate from these, you know, words on a page and, um, uh, to, uh, to, um, to a production, to a living, breathing thing, you know? And so, uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's, it's, you invite people into the room to play with you, to do, to do something with you. And, um, and you want to, you want those people to bring, to bring everything, you know, to bring their talent, to bring their intelligence, to bring their, you know, uh, sense of beauty style, all of it, you know? Um, but ultimately, you, you know, it's, um, you know, uh, you know, the director is the director gets to tell the story how the director wants to tell the story, and I think that that, uh, you know, uh, that's how it works. So, you know, I, I I try to let everybody have as much free reign as possible uh, with trying to trying to tell the story the way that that ultimately I would like to tell it. So, you know, and I, you know, I. I think it's about that. I, I, I think it's about, I think it's about, um, a beautiful collaboration that can happen. Mm-hmm. And, and then specifically when you are starting to work with a designer, um, what do you need from them? What do they need to bring to the table to help you tell the story? Uh, and does that change from production to production? Right. I think it's, um, I, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, you know, initially what, 
what I do is, you know, after I've read the play, you know, 10 times or whatever that, we, you know, and the designers read the play and then we get together and then we talk, it's, you know, how do we, how do we want to tell this story? What, what does it need first? What does it need? You know, like playwrights, you know, and I can't talk about sort of self-created work at this point because I think it's, you know, it's like what's in the source material, let's call it that, or what's in the script, you know, and what does the script need? What does it, what does it need? You know, just the basic elements. And then, uh, then there's, you know, a larger conversation from there. You know, it's like, it's going to need this. Well, it says there's a gigantic stairwell. Well, what is that stairwell? How does it look? What does it, you know, what does it, what does it need to do? How do we want to, how do we want to use this stairwell or how do we want to use, um, uh, this, uh, this thing, you know, without being specific about, you know, but what does, what does the source material need? Well, it needs this, it needs this, it needs this. And then, how, you know, how, what does it look like? How do we use it? What does it, you know, what's the heart of the thing? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I think, uh, and then, then, you know, sort of the, that's the initial conversation. And um, I think it looks like, the, you know, I'll say, I think it's this. And the designer will say, I think it's this or, you know, and then we leave it alone for a while. And then we'll have another conversation about it. And then, you know, uh, as we start to move towards some deadlines, we start to make some harder decisions about how we're going to, the harder, more beautiful decisions of, you know, uh, how specifically we're going to tell the story. Mm-hmm. So then we, you know, um, uh, we go from there. But I think it's about coming with your creativity and your ideas in those initial meetings about ha- how, how you see the story being told. You know, and how how often has a designer come to you and said, you know, I see this play as X, and here is a fleshed out, um, here's a fleshed out idea that I've been working on for weeks. Uh, you know, like I was really excited about this, and so I feel like this should be set in this place in time, and we're going to do, you know, these are the colors and the, the palette, and the, you know, here's a bunch of research. How when you get approached by by somebody who has a large idea, how do you manage that idea so that it actually fits into your own concept? Uh, or does that never happen? Is it always a, a collaborative effort? I I think it's a, a you know for for me for the most part it's it's always been collaborative. But you know it it's um. You know, it's always been collaborative, but it, like, you know, I've had my mind, you know, completely and utterly changed and blown by, you know, um, uh, by that kind of thing where it's like, I think we should do this. And I'm going like, you know, I saw it this way and, and, uh, and now I, I agree, like, you know, and then there's other times where it's been, it's been the opposite. It's been like, you know, uh, okay. So I don't, I don't, that's not how I see us telling the story. And that's not how I, how I envisioned that I wanted to tell this story. So, you know, it's, it's, and it, you know, it, there is no baby in bathwater, you know, like, I think it's like, you know, if, if this work is done and this relationship is, is, uh, one that, um, one that I've been, you know, uh, working working on a, a person that I've been working with, it, it's, um, you know, we're pretty much on the same page, you know? Uh, I, I've never run into something where it's like, 
this is absolutely not what, you know, I've never run into the situation where it's like, here it is, here's, here's everything and go, Oh my God, you know, because I think the best designers are the ones that are collaborative, you know, like I, you know, like, um, in my mind, that's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we, so. we spoke a little bit about, um, in the preview about the factory theaters naked season, so-called naked season where they've eschewed a lot of the, um, design elements and, but in, you know, decreased budgets just to concentrate on the script, great scripts and great, uh, acting, uh, and, and directing. And how, how do you approach, first of all, do you think that that's a good idea that they got a bit of flack from the, at the, at the beginning of the season, uh, when the first play came out and there was, you know, basically no set black box, couple props, uh, costumes right. were very, and, and, but that seems to have calmed down. I think for the most part, people have seen it for what it is, which is a, uh, you know, an attempt to get down to the words and focus on that solely. Um, do you think there's something missing? Uh, is that an okay, is that a choice that, that is okay for theater, which is such a three dimensional venue? Uh, and you know, how does that affect other, um, temporary sites like a park or, or, uh, you know, bring your own venue or a pop-up venue where you're, you're in a, you know, a, a, a already built space, uh, or in a place where you don't really have, you don't have the machinery to support a large, uh, visual element like lighting or, or, uh, uh, or sets. Uh, do you think that's a, is it, do you think that's a reasonable choice or, or is there something missing? Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I think theater can be anything. Do you, do you know what I mean, Michael, without kind of dodging the question? I, <laughs> you know, like, I, I really feel like theater can be anything. And I think, you know, it's, you know, I've seen great work where it's a guy standing center stage in, you know, with a bare light bulb and, or sitting on a chair and they tell us a story, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's, you know, things that I've seen that I've been in, you know, my mind's been blown, you know, like gigantic Robert Wilson productions that go for five hours, you know, Einstein on the beach and where design is, you know, design is everything, you know, everything in, inclusive in that vision. So, so, um, so I feel like it can be anything, you know, and, um, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of factory season, I mean, I, you know, I think, I think it, it, um, you know, dependent on those plays, you know, I, I, um, uh, how they just wanted to get back to the very, very basics and save some money and try to try to tell these stories that way. I don't, you know, like I, I, I feel like it came from a, from a place of, you know, uh, that they were financially strapped, I think. I don't know, you know, but that's what it seemed to be. It also, you know, to, you know, I've seen McIver's work where it's like, you know, it's lights and a chair and, you know, um, him telling a story, you know, so that he can tour effectively, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like, uh, you know, it's one year. It's one year and it's an experiment and, you know, we're so, sometimes we get locked in when we're running theaters. We get locked into expectations, you know, um, expectations of how we're going to do things. So, you know, like, I feel like with factory, it's like this will be one year and then, you know, in the future, they'll, you know, they'll get back to using, using all the design elements and using, you know, 
using all the beautiful magic that is designed to tell to tell these stories, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and the intellect behind that with all these designers. So, you know, I, I feel like, um, uh, I don't know, I, I, I feel like, uh, I guess I'm just moving on to your next question about, you know, like pop-up theaters and, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I love environmental theater and I love plays that, um, plays pieces of theater that, uh, that, um, that do move around. I like going to, to, you know, I saw a play one time in a, in a basement of a house, you know, here in Edmonton and it was fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm leaning up against the furnace in a chair watching this guy tell this story in the basement of this house. And the story was fantastic. And there were slight design elements uh, with it. They were just lights on a chair. A guy named Chris Craddock uh, wrote this play. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, was, it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. And, uh, you know, I'd been seeing his show in the theater, that same show, and it worked beautifully in this basement. Um, and I loved it in the basement. So, you know, I, I, I think, uh, but there was a design at play, you know, like somebody had made some design decisions about how, how that was going to, uh, to play. So I don't know. I, I, you know, like I, I, I believe that design is so important. And, you know, when I, when I'm working on a show, I, I try to, you know, it's the designers that I talk to the most when I'm reading the play and doing the prep work and getting uh, getting ready to tell the story. It's 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 so so important. Mm-hmm. You know, Did and you... it's like you know, and I and I you know I um, so uh, you know uh, so as far as the you know the factory situation goes, I think they're trying an experiment for this year, and and it'll be different next year. You know, it'll be different next year. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that's that's great. Yeah, uh, yeah. terrific. No, that's a, that's a that's a great answer. I I too am a big fan of environmental theater. I think it's a, I think it's really the future of. I mean, theater is never going to leave the proscenium entirely, but I think that uh, giving people a different experience where they can um, immerse themselves into uh, a dramatic instance in a in a place that is not a theater, I think is a really powerful way of telling a story. So I think I, I just, I love that. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Was it you know, when I, you know, when I, when I, um, you know, when I started, you know, when I was uh, a young director, I used to do a ton of that work. Are you still there? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I used to do a ton of that work and, um, you know, it was, um, you know, I, I did a play called Steel Kiss written by Robin Fulford as an actor and then as a director. You know, and I did it in an art gallery with 1,500 square feet of sod, mm-hmm. you know, grass. And, um, you know, I did a play in a used car, uh, a used car um, garage, you know, and there was a car in the play. And, um, you know, and, and people were excited by it. You know, I, I did a show called The Horror of the Horror which was about, you know, the death penalty coming to Canada at a medical uh, institution. So I think people are, and I think people love to see it. I think, you know, like people love to see that work, you know, um, you know, Richard Rose doing Tamaro so many years ago. And now, you know, Sleep No More is this giant hit in New York. And, you know, there's people like outside the march in Toronto is doing this, 
trying to do environmental uh, work or or push that as their mandate, you know. And I I um I think it is exciting. I think it is exciting. And I think that there's a role, there's an absolute important necessary role for design in in all of it, you know, mm-hmm. in all of that. So. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an exciting time. It's exciting. It's exciting theater. It's exciting theater to go to. It's an, you know, it's exciting theater to make. You know. Yeah. And by the same yeah. token, in our in our interview before, in our previous interview, you you told me that you you don't you quote don't leave the suspension of disbelief just up to the audience, which I think is an yeah just a fantastic quote. Unpack that for me and explain to me what you mean by that and what you do to assist that suspension. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, um, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's about all of that. You know, it's like, I thought, how do I explain this? Uh, let me, okay. I went and saw a production of Virginia Woolf at one point and, you know, it's, uh, the design was not great. And um, the performances were incredible. And I, you know, like they're supposed to be drinking all night and getting drunk. And, you know, it's like the glasses that were in this production were all frosted. So you could never, ever see how much they were drinking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was sort of... you never knew you never knew how how much they had to drink you never knew how full the glass was you never sort of clocked that in your head you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and so so you know we were just left to you know you know it's supposed to take place in this you know the the living room of these this uh professors you know uh professor and his wife's house. And, you know, it, it, um, you know, just even that little bit pulled me out of the play and pulled me out of the experience because I was going like, you know, these people are drinking all night. And, um, so I can't see how much they're drinking. I can't, you know, and, and I'm out of the play because of it. I'm out of the play because I don't get to see the actual liquid that gets poured from the bottle into the glass to, you know, and I, you know, without being a, you know, you know, uh, a minutia critic. It just took me out of the play, and I and I think you know, uh, there's times that I do go to the theater where I'm just completely ripped out of the experience because of uh, choices that that were made. And 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 I I hope that when I you know when I do, when I do work that um, that. I I try to take those things away. I take that suspension of disbelief away, you know? I mean, there's so much that you have to overcome when you go to the theater in the first place, you know, you in terms of your suspension of disbelief. You walk in, you sit in a seat, you open your program, there's the name of the actor playing the part, there's, you know, and then the lights go, you know, there's a speech about cell phones, there's a speech about sponsors, there's, uh, you know, all of it. And then the lights go down or half or whatever, and then you're you become immersed in the world of the story that you're about to hear or see. And I think it's like the 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 thing that I, I try to aim for and I try to aim for with my the people that I'm collaborating with is that once that happens, that you are completely immersed in that in that world. 
So all the decisions that are made are made to immerse the audience in the, in the story that you're trying to tell, you know? And I, I liken that to film. Like, you know, we, we see films where, you know, we see epic, epic films where it's like, you know, every costume has been dyed in tea to give it a sepia look. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's 40,000 costumes dipped in tea, like in The Godfather, so that, you know, the lens, you know, the lens captures this sepia look that, you know, um, that he's trying to, you know, that Francis Ford Coppola is trying to communicate to you visually, you know, and, uh, you know, sort of every choice is made, you know, that they're, that they're choices that, you know, when a painter is painting a painting, you know, they choose. And I think that, you know, actors make choices and directors make choices and that, you know, within the spectrum of that choice, what are the, what are the colors of that choice? What are the things that you're trying to impart to the audience? And I think that they're, they're all about those choices. So, you know, and I think they're about suspension of disbelief. I think they're about like, um, making the audience see what you want them to see, maybe not feel what you want them to feel all the time, but to see what you want them to see so that they're immersed, that they're completely part of the world that you're trying to, to make for them. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, um, yeah, I think that that's that's what it comes down to. You know, I mean, I, and and then you know, it's it's like you know that I, I love being surprised by the happy accidents that happen. You know, that the the beautiful thing because if you make enough choices, then there's going to be some kind of you know uh, some kind of incredible accidents you know, that you didn't count on where it's like, you know, some kind of spirit is singing in the theater and you go, wow, that, you know, that's a, that's a brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant choice, you know, you know, that's great. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, like, you know, everybody comes prepared. It's, you know, it's, uh, you're just trying to tell, you're just trying to tell a story. You know, it was like, I, I did a play a bunch of years ago and, you know, this is, you know, about design. It's, it's, uh, you know, I didn't know how to, how to do this, this one thing. It was in a play called respectable. And, you know, part of the, part of the play takes place in a pickup truck. So it takes part of the play takes place in the back of the pickup truck part of the play takes place in the front of the pickup truck. And, and then there's a, there's a scene, you know, there's a bunch of scenes that happen in a, a wealthy mansion sort of a place, right? <laughs> this wealthy ranch, exactly. Wealthy ranch. And so, you know, I was trying to figure out, well, how do we do this? Do we put, you know, we had, you know, the, the conversation with the designer was, let's get a truck. So we'll get the truck. We'll take the engine out. We'll take all the stuff out of the truck and we'll, we'll do this. And I was trying to figure out, you know, did we have the truck on a revolve? Did we, you know, there was a bunch of discussions. And then I went into the theater one day and, and, uh, uh, it was like, uh, the designer said to me, I know how to do it. And I went, what? And, uh, and she said, let's cut the truck in half. And I went, it's a brilliant idea. It was a brilliant idea. And it was, you know, because you're struggling with how to tell the story and you're struggling with how to do it. And that's what we did. We cut the truck in half and, uh, it ended up being, it ended up working beautifully. So 
the, the front portion of the truck was stage right and the, the tailgate, you know, uh, flatbed of the truck was, was stage left. And it just, you know, it worked beautifully. It worked, it worked beautifully. So, uh, anyway, um, it was just one of those happy, well, not a happy accident. It was, I mean, it ultimately was a decision, I guess, but it was like, because we were struggling with how to tell the story and we knew we needed a truck or we wanted one. Maybe we didn't need one, but we wanted one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, it just, you know, it was one of those things where it you know, just kind of fused it ended up, you know, being the thing that fused the production together, you know, in a way. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hi there, I'm interrupting briefly to thank those of you who have supported the title block on Patreon.com. I really enjoyed doing the show, and I'm, I'm not going to stop while I have the time, but it does cost a bit to do the show between equipment and web hosting, not to mention extra mic rentals to ensure that special events like the bellows sound as best as I can make them. So, I'm asking that you help out to cover those costs and help me to continue to capture the story of Canadian theatre design. Go to patreon.com forward slash the title block podcast and donate a couple of bucks an episode. It really helps. Now, back to my interview with director Ron Jenkins. All right, so so we've already spoken about what, where you sort of start with the designer and how you come to the meeting. How do you do you change the conversation you have, or do you have a different conversation with set versus lighting versus costume versus sound? Like, how do you talk? How do you speak with the individual designers to develop a vocabulary, and does that change from designer to designer, or or, or discipline right. to discipline? Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, in terms of all the elements, I think that there's a, you know, because they're different, they're different elements. There's a different conversation that happens, you know, with a costume designer and a sound designer and a, you know, um, um, you know, the set designer and the lighting designer. Like, I think that they, you know, that, that there is a, a certain, uh, there's a certain way of, there's a certain way of, um, you know, uh, speaking because, you know, they're just different elements. Right. But, uh, overall, I think those conversations are, are, are pretty much the same. You know what I mean? Like I, and I think that they do, you know, I think that they're pretty much the same because you're trying to find this unified vision for, for what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I, um, uh, and I, you know, as far as like different designers, I mean, everybody's different. Every, every person you ever, you know, meet, work with, uh, you know, there's a common language I think that happens, but there's also, there's also, uh, you know, um, uh, people are different, you know, and the, you know, in the same way that you're, you talk to actors, there's, uh, you know, a common language or your hope that there's a common language. <laughs> But you talk to everybody differently, you know, you treat everybody differently, you know, uh, different and the same. And, um, you know, I heard this great quote one time that it was like, you know, I will be consistent with you, you know, and it was like, uh, I will treat everybody differently. And uh, I thought it was such a great quote because it, and, and truthful, you know. And um, uh, so I think. Uh, uh, I, I think every conversation you have is different, but the same. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah and I yeah. think, that, and I think that it's, and I think that it does change. Like, I think, you know, like 
there's been times when, you know, you go down a road and you go like, you know, we are so far off the beam and now we need to change this conversation. You know, like we're off the beam. Like we made a mistake. Artistically, we made a mistake and now we can fix it. So let's fix it, mm -hmm. you know? And I like, I like working with people in terms of that cooperation where we go, you know, you, you both kind of go like we made a mistake. Now we need to change it. Now we need to fix it. Now we need to sort it out. You know, and how on uh, so, when 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 do you know that a mistake uh, has been made? Like, what makes you uncomfortable? When do you get that kind of uncomfortable feeling uh, prior to the load in? Um, how do you think? How do you know things are off the rails, uh, or do you, or do you need to be in the space right. and go, "Oh God, that was not what I was talking about at all." And how do you avoid this or get things back on track? Like, who do you rely on to fix right. that, to fix that problem? Um, I try my very, 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 very best to not let that happen, but it has happened <laughs> and you go, well, we just need to, we need to fix it. And if it means cutting something, then that needs to happen. If it means like, um, you know, if that, if it means, if it means fixing something, uh, then you fix it. Um, the times when, you know, like, and there have been times where it's like, you know, we thought that this was going to work and now, you know, we need another three feet. Uh, you do it before the lights are, you know, hung. <laughs> you know, you do it, you do it, you just do it. And if you, you know, um, you know, I did a play a long time ago and it was like, you know, I kind of felt in the rehearsal hall that it was, that this was happening in the designer and I talked about it and I was like, I need another three feet. I, you know, like I know that I need another three feet. Like I do. It's just, uh, just in terms of depth, in terms of, you know, so we get into the theater and, uh, you know, sure enough, I was right, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, before the lights were hung and focused, we just went, let's just build another three feet of floor. And, um, you know, you talk to the production manager and then you just do it. And I know I'm not being very specific about this, but it's like, you know, um, because I've been in other, I've been in other situations where it's like, I got into the theater and I went, I, you know, I'm lost. I'm, I'm now lost and I don't know how to fix this. And the decision needed to be made a week ago. <laughs> uh, and you didn't make that decision. And now that decision is affected or you, you didn't change that decision. And now that decision has affected everything that's going to happen from this point forward. And so, um, I think you just, you know, without breaking theaters backs, you know, you try to, and, you know, um, disgruntling every single person <laughs> that you've ever worked with or are working with at the time, you have to make the hard decisions and you have to, you have to make the changes that, that need to happen. You know, mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. Absolutely. It certainly is dependent. I imagine it's, it's dependent upon the designers, dependent upon the venue, the, the budget. And it's a lot of like moving parts in that kind of question. So all you can do is just make a decision. Yeah. Um, how do you, you know, I worked with, uh, I worked with, uh, you know, a guy at the, uh, uh, you know, I was directing a show at the NAC and, um, I, Kevin, right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, so Kevin was, uh, you know, Kevin, um, I, I, I asked for two desks 
when I was doing Enron, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, yeah, I need a little desk and a big desk down below, blah, blah, blah. And so the designer designed them, and it was all going great. And, and you know, Kevin had said, you know, to me at one point, he said, are you sure you're going to need that desk? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we need it, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think we need it, is what I said. I said, I think we need it. And uh, uh, anyway, the desk, the desk, the desk, the desk, the desk, <laughs> the desk was part of the um, uh, the original designs and all of that. So they build the desk, and we get in, you know, and we're in a sort of middle of week two, you know, three and a half week rehearsal process, and I'm going, you know, and I can kind of see it coming that we're not going to need the desk, right? Mm-hmm. And I went over to him and I went, uh, you know, Kev, uh, I think you were right. I think we don't need it. And, you know, his response was, well, it's the spoils of war. And, uh, you know, it just needs to not happen then. You know, and, and he knew and the designer knew and, you know, like everybody knew that we didn't need it. And it was a mistake or not a mistake, but an, uh, 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 just a, a thing that happened like a spoil of war, mm-hmm. you know, and it yep. just needed to not happen. So uh, he just he was great about it. You know, he was the technical director of the, the company and, uh, you know, it was, uh, the designer was great with it as were the actors and everybody knew, you know, so, uh, you just do it. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, that of course is Kevin Ryan, right? To the, who's the, who it was Kevin who Ryan. Yeah. Lost this, yeah. Great guy. This great summer. guy. Uh, the, uh, Fina McDonald, uh, prop builder at Rabbit's Trace here in Toronto. She said that Invariably, the first prop that you finish is the prop that gets cut. <laughs> right. So you just and you just have to do it and go. My job is to make this look beautiful, or yeah. you know, make it look like the picture. And then if it gets cut, you just let it go. <laughs> we just yeah. we all just move on. We have to tell a story. This is not about building a prop or building a desk. It's about telling a story. So that's what we should be. Well, that's it. That's on. it. I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, I don't. Um, you know, like. Uh, you know, I I am. Um, it can't be about just your, you know, like I, I feel like, you know, I have an ego. I have a, you know, a gigantic ego, you know, <laughs> uh, it's when the ego gets unhealthy that, you know, it's that, that the trouble happens, you know, and I, and I feel like, I feel like, you know, if, if, if the direction isn't working, that hopefully I catch it, you know, and if everybody in the room knows it except me, you know, then, um, you know, am I going to stay with it because, because uh, it was my initial impulse to, to, to do something, you know, is it, is it, or is it, you know, the idea that the best idea in the room wins? Well, I, you know, I, I believe that the best idea in the room wins and uh, that uh, the best choice wins. And whether that's my choice or somebody else's choice, I, I don't care. You know, mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't care. So if something's not working, and I, you know, and if a designer comes in, you know, a designer comes to me and goes, well, it will work if you do this, uh, I am more than willing to try it. And the same, the same with actors, the same with, you know, all parts of it, you know, if I'm, I will listen to everything. I will listen to every single thing because I'd be an idiot not to listen to it. Um, but in the same, you know, in the same way with design, it's like, if it ain't working, and everybody knows it's not working, and you can see that it's not working, then, um, you know, then it's got to go, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's got to go, or it's got to change, you know? It's it's if somebody's in a costume that's ill-fitting and doesn't work, and, you know, the designer believes that it was going to be this beautiful thing, and it isn't, 
and everybody in the room can see that it's not a beautiful thing <laughs> and that it doesn't fit properly and it's not working and it's clumsy and it's then 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 why wouldn't a change be made you know mm-hmm. and, and spe- you know even even you know even when you've seen it you know even when you've seen it you know earlier and it's not working you know mm-hmm. you know I mean, you know, like lighting designers change counts, counts and uh, colors and, you know, lighting designers change all the time. Lighting designers are completely flexible, you know. It's like you change the count, you change the call, you change the, you change the color of the gel, you, you know, like things change mm-hmm. and, and as they should, you know, as they should. I mean, it's, it, it's a, I, I, I think it's a difficult thing, you know, it's like you get into the theater, the theater, you know, the place where everybody's going to see, to see the thing that you've been making in rehearsal for however long you've been making it in, and you have the shortest amount of time, you know, for the most part, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, um, I don't know. So you have to make your decision quick and kind of ruthlessly at that point. If, uh, if you're off the beam, you know, if you're not off the beam, then, you know, then things can be absolutely fine, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, and how, you have to kill. yeah. How, how much of a formed vision of the end product do you usually have before going into the space? I mean, obviously maquettes are pretty illustrative and, 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 uh, uh, and costume drawings and you, uh, through fittings, you tend to you know what that looks like, but are you ever surprised when you see everything up on its feet and go, wow, that's bigger or that's smaller or that's, and do you rely on those surprises or like, do you like those surprises? I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, you know, like I don't, uh, I don't rely on them, uh, but uh, I love them. And, um, you know, like, you know, I, I, I do have a specific way I want to uh, tell a story and that those decisions are made and that, um, you know, that, uh, um, what am I trying to say here? That, you know, overall, I, I do see, like, the, the moments along the way are going to be different because, you know, an actor is going to bring something to a thing that you didn't think they were going to bring. And, uh, you know... Um, people are going to make their artistic choices, but ultimately I do see, um, I do see things, um, uh, changing, changing. And, uh, and I like, I like being surprised and I like when things happen that, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, take me by surprise and blow me away and all of that. So, you know, um, uh, you know, I was doing this show. I'm I'm doing the show uh, called Playing with Fire about the life of Theo Fleury that we did at Alberta Theater Projects. Mm-hmm. And so we have a we have a rink. We have a uh, sort of an old school rink uh, with this uh, ice surface called Easy Glide that you can skate on. And so uh, you know, anyway, when he joins the uh, when he joins the Calgary Flames for the first time, you know, uh, Teal Fleury's a hockey player, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, we had this gigantic scoreboard that would fly in, and um, so so we'd fly this gigantic scoreboard in uh, when he played his first NHL game, and uh, you know, it was exciting and all of that, and uh, you know, it's uh, you know, there was a projection screen on the 
on the uh, gigantic scoreboard. And so, you know, we're, we're teching things and somebody had to do something with the, um, uh, do something with the scoreboard. So they had flown it in so that it was at floor level. And uh, so I was looking and I went, can you get inside this thing? And the TD was like, yeah, you can get inside this thing. And I said, okay, well, why don't we do this scene where he's, um, you know, there's a scene where he's, uh, he goes and he's coked out in this apartment and drinking in this apartment and uh, seedy little uh, apartment. And I go, why don't we do the scene in here? And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we could do the scene in here and we can light it from the back and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and the designers, you know, were all over it. They were, you know, they were all in and the actor was all in. And it just became this really exciting moment, you know, and it spoke to the play and it spoke to, uh, it spoke to, it spoke to everything. And I was like, great, you know? Um, so it was a beautiful, happy, happy accident, you know, that, that happened. And it, it was, uh, you know, it just got to be one of the most exciting things in the play, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, and it was an accident because we, you know, we'd made all those choices about, you know, earlier about having a scoreboard and the scoreboard would fly in and, you know, like, it just so happened that they were fixing it and we were working at the time. And it was like, it was just this beautiful, beautiful, happy, happy thing, exciting, mm-hmm. exciting, happy thing. So I don't know. Well, that's awesome. I, I think I, it happens all the time. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's really easy to uh, conceive of the tech week as one sort of pre-scheduled, pre-budgeted, crisis going on for two weeks till you get to opening week or opening day. Um, yeah. It, when, I mean, this has rarely happened to me. Um, sometimes it happens in the, when you have you know, like 20 previews at the, at the large festivals and stuff, but sometimes you do a show and uh, everything goes fine and you made these plans and the plans for the most part worked out and you float into opening day and or opening night and everything kind of goes uh, but that is rarely i think that's that's the exception i think most of the time it's you try this thing it fails you try something else that one kind of works and then you work on it and you work on it and you work on it and then finally you know the day before you go yes that's what it is how important yeah. do you think that crisis atmosphere is for carving out a finished product and is it necessary uh, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary. I think people are, you know, like you, you make these decisions, you make all the decisions, you're well prepared, you're, you, you, uh, rehearse the play, you, you know, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, crisis, crisis comes when I think people are unprepared. Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, if something's not working, it's exciting. That's an exciting thing to try to solve the puzzles the hard math of theater, you know, it's an exciting thing. I don't think it's like a thing that I look for and I don't think anybody looks for it um, because that's crazy making, you know, it's just crazy making in the theater. And I think, uh, um, but I think that there's an adrenaline that comes with trying to find the most exciting choice. If something's not working, um, you have to find the thing that does, you know, so, so does that make sense? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I, um, you know, crisis is when, you know, you're about to open a play and, you know, an actor gets sick or, 
or um, something like that happens and you have no understudies and, you know, you have to go on with book in hand. I think that's the, you know, that's the terrible crisis of things, you know, Mm -hmm. or somebody gets injured or something like that, you know, like something along those lines, like, you know, that's the terrible crisis that happens. But, um, you know, the happy accidents and, and that kind of stuff, I think that comes from preparation. And I think it comes from knowing the story that you want to tell, you know, and you know that it's right. You know that it's right. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know, without pulling out a, you know, like a, well, I will, I guess, you know, it's like when you cook, you know, it's like, hmm, more of this is better, you know, <laughs> or this tastes better, you know, like more of this is good or less of this is better, you know, like I thought I was going to make this and now forget that because that was a bad idea, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a brilliant idea, and that's an even better idea. And you know, it's like, you know, it's like actors. You know, you, I have, um, you know, you have, you have ideas about how people, how you want things played, how how you want people to inhabit the characters, how you want, you know, uh, how you want them to do things. But at some point, the actors know the play better than you do. Mm-hmm. They know the play better than you do. You know, they're in it. They're they're understanding it. They're living the heartbeat of the thing, you know? So so it's like if it isn't way off the beam, you know, then it's then it's uh, you know, uh that's a great choice, you know. It's a great choice that I had no idea. No idea that it would happen that way. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, I don't think that's a crisis. I think that that's just part of the process, you know? Yeah. How yeah. how do you know then just to wrap up this idea of the process how do you know it's finished um is it a benchmark is it just well we open in a half an hour i guess it's finished like what, i think it's we open in half an hour i yeah. think it's we open in half half an hour and you know like it's hard to go back to things you know once they're open but you know you always go ah i missed that I miss that, you know, and sometimes you get lost in the minutia, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you do get lost in the minutia, especially during tech, you know, you're trying to make one thing work and you're going, and then you finally get to see the whole thing play out and you go, right. I miss that. You know, mm-hmm. I miss that because I was directing this little piece or this little part of the play that, uh, you know, um, significantly affects the rest of the the thing. You know, I am, you know, uh, I don't know. You just do. You just, so it, it never really is finished, but it's finished when you open, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes you make, you know, so sometimes you make changes. How do you feel about the, uh, the, the Robert Wilson, um, process of adjudicating every microsecond, of the play. I mean, I have never worked with them, but we've heard stories of, you know, interminable tech weeks where, you know, the actor moved the finger this way instead of that way. And that didn't tell the story because the painting is not incomplete or something. And so we do it all again and, you know, move it this way instead of that way. Like, the, do you think right. that that kind of finite control is healthy? I mean, I guess it works for him. I, I think it works for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it truly does work for him. I, I just had a friend of mine who worked with him. And they were in costume, and they were in full tech for five weeks. Oh my God. Five weeks. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's making the thing, you know, he's, he's already made the thing, but now he's really, really making the thing, you know, and, and, you know, he's at a point in his career where he's, um, you know, where people allow him to do that, Mm -hmm. you know, where he has the permission to do that. And I don't know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. (laughs) I think it's a good thing for him, you know, other people, it may drive crazy and, you know, like we're all different, you know, but that's his, that's his process, you know, Mm -hmm. that's his, his way of doing things. So I don't know. I, I love his work. So, um, there's a method and there's a process and, you know, I'm sure it wasn't that way when he was, in his twenties and he was in New York and doing shows in basements, you know, but mm-hmm. like ultimately I think that that was his, that was his goal, you know, to be able to, to make work like that. Mm-hmm. And I imagine if the product is shitty, no one would put yeah. up with that. Well, that's it. That's it. You know? So you better that's be it. good. Yeah. yeah. And you know, like people fail, like, you know, it's like, people do fail, you know, like people, people succeed and people fail and people, you know, nobody, you know, everybody's trying to make the best thing that they can. I don't, you know, I've never met anybody. I don't think that was like, um, well, you know, I, I mean, I guess I have, I, I'd be aligned to say that I haven't, you know, but like, Oh, that's good enough. You know, that's fine. Um, I don't think, I don't think those people, you know, last too long in the business. Oh, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't know, you kind of live it, breathe it, eat it, and you try to make the best thing possible and the most exciting thing possible, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I think every, everybody, for the most part, tries to do that, you know? Um, uh, and when it comes to the point where things are fine and, you know, you can do it in your sleep, and I, I, I think it's, time to call it a day or something, you mm-hmm. know, cause I, I'm excited when I work, you know, I'm excited to do new things. I mean, I'm really excited and I, I love to do it. And, and I think anybody who's in the business of making theater, you know, you're not going to get rich. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you do it because you love it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you just do. And, um, so, so I don't know. I mean, I, you know, like there's, there's people that I found a way that works for them. You know, like I just saw Robert Lepage speak at, at Banff and he was talking about his process and you know how he's working on multiple projects at the same time, but those projects are, you know, kind of like over two, two to three year periods. So he'll work for six weeks on it, leave it alone, and then come back to it and work for four weeks on it, and then leave it alone, and then come back and work for two weeks on it, and then come back and, you know, and then put it all together, you know? And that's over a three-year period where he has time to let things rest and let the actors think about it, and he'll think about it. And then, you know, as he goes along, it... uh, he pairs it. He pairs it back. He adds. He subtracts. And you know, I I think, you know, for Wilson, you know, that kind of process is like five weeks. Here it is. Mm-hmm. We're doing this in five weeks. You know, 
not that decisions haven't been made prior to that, but, um, you know, uh, I think it's, I think it's just the way, you know, we want to see his work. What do you think it's important? Uh, I don't know if you've been involved in the training of designers, but, but what do you think is important for them to take away from their education? Like, uh, what, what, what would you like to tell them to focus on um, when they're undertaking their original training as a designer? Wow. I know. Um, you have all the power in the world to decide. Oh, my God. Um, I think it's... Um, I mean, apart from all the things that designers learn and all the things that they bring to the table is um, a, love of, a love of storytelling and a love of collaborating. And I think that, that that's the thing I would say, because I think it's just so, there's just so, so, so many things that, uh, that you, could, you could say to that. You know, you could, you could give a million answers to it, but I think it's... Um, it's that, that, um, uh, you know, that, that, that they love to collaborate and that they love to make things in the theater, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's what I would say. I mean, I, I know it's a simple sort of, you know, uh, simple answer, but, you know, that they are collaborative and that they, they, you know, uh, whatever that means and bring themselves themselves to the mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. And then as far as directors go, what do you think the directors have to remember, especially new directors, somebody who's just starting out, maybe they're just out of grad school, maybe they're transitioning from an acting or design career into directing. What do you think they have to remember when they first approach uh, a designer uh, to, to start thinking about the play three-dimensionally? Um. Uh, that you're you're specific and that you're collaborative. That you're specific about what you want and what you feel the story needs and what you you envision, and that you try to communicate that vision, uh, that vision, division, that vision to the designer. <laughs> that you're that you're clear. Um, that you're clear and passionate about how you want to tell that story. And I think that the that um, you know, designers listen to that and latch on to that and have their own ideas about that, and you know, um, so that you're uh, you're talking about how you want to tell that story from your heart, your heart and your head, but mostly your heart, because you know, great designers will pick up on that and then and then make that happen, run with that. And, and, um, you know, that, that the designer feels confident moving forward, you know? That's great. That's excellent. So what a great conversation. Thank you so much, Ron, for being, uh, on the title block. Well, it was an absolute pleasure, Michael. Absolute pleasure.
And that was director Ron Jenkins speaking to me in January of 2016. Next time, designer Pat Flood and I discuss her long career, the archiving of old designs, and the training of young designers. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good, with voiceover by Gabriel Cropley. Please go to iTunes and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at thetitleblockca and on facebook.com forward slash thetitleblockpodcast. You can send comments and requests by email to thetitleblock at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like the show, support us on patreon.com. Feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it while you move between plays at the Summer Fringe events in Canada. Happy fringing, everyone. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block. <laughs>